everyone. Welcome to another episode. Well, actually, not another episode. Welcome to our very first episode of F Cancer with Tom Riley. I'm Tom Riley. And with me, as always, is my cousin, Chloe. Say hello, Chloe. Hello, Tom. How are you doing today? I am doing just fine. Uh, but, you know, I also want to know, Tom, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing well. Um, didn't really get any sleep last night, um, but it was a, a really unusual day yesterday. I, uh, I, I woke up at uh, 2 p.m. Uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, I had stayed up fairly late the night before, maybe uh, maybe about 2 a.m., but uh, slept till 2 p.m., so that's 12 hours sleep. Uh, woke up, came downstairs, ate um, my typical waffles and uh, orange juice uh, for breakfast, and, uh, and then sat down in the recliner um, and promptly fell asleep again. Uh, and I slept until 6 p.m., uh, and I woke up just cause I had to go to the bathroom and then I slept till 9 PM when my kids woke me up and Mary and asked me to, or forced me to eat some chicken, uh, which was wonderful. And then I went back to sleep again until like 1130 PM. So absolutely the strangest day. Uh, and then I, uh, just, uh, ended up very energized and, uh, stayed up all night, uh, working on, uh, the, the podcast and, uh, other things to do with F cancer and, uh, and then spent a couple hours just going through some old photos. And, uh, uh, I find that if I'm not sleeping at three in the morning and the house is quiet, uh, going through those old photos is one of my favorite things to do. So, uh, I'm, I'm having a great day. I, I probably do for a nap at some point soon, but, uh, uh, all in all, I'm, I'm feeling really well. Thanks for asking. Well, you're welcome. I know that uh, on the show, that's the way that we like to start off is by asking and focusing on, you know, the feeling versus just kind of focusing on the numbers or, you know, yeah. how's your weight? What's what are your numbers today? And so um, uh, in this episode, we're going to be focusing on, you know, sort of how did we get here? Um, you know, for those who are just joining us who may, may not know you, uh, you are dealing with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah, I think what, one of the first things that we want to talk about today is just how do we get here and uh, really looking at, you know, that moment before, moment after, day before, mm -hmm. day after your diagnosis. Um, can you kind of go back to that place and tell us about what that moment was like, what, what that moment about finding out that diagnosis was like? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I would say uh, it really started about, um, I don't know, about four or five days, um, before I actually, uh, went to the hospital, uh, to get checked out. Uh, I woke up, uh, one morning and I just had a, a little bit of a pain in my side and, uh, it just felt like, uh, I had slept funny. I mean, it really did. I, I think, uh, I think I mentioned something to Mary that day and said, oh man, I feel like I slept you know, in a funny, you know, uh, twisted or, or something like that, or had fallen asleep on the couch, which I had fallen asleep on the couch the, the night before. And, uh, and so I didn't think anything of it. And a couple of days later, um, it was still there. And instead of feeling like just one specific place, it still felt like muscular, like a, like a, a cramp or, or a pain. Um, 
but it was a little more specific and I could kind of feel it in the front around the side and to the back. So kind of, you know, around here. And, um, so that didn't quite sound so much like I had just slept funny. And, uh, and by now it was, you know, three days later or something. So, uh, I started Googling, um, and, uh, I had also noticed, uh, that I felt a little bit nauseous, um, that day. And that if I kind of poked around, um, because I was constantly, you know, when you've got a weird pain, you're constantly poking to see, you know, if it's in a specific place, um, et cetera. And, uh, ironically, I used to think of that as like poking around to see if I have cancer, you know, like I could tell with my fingertip, but, um, anyway, uh, little did I know, I, you know, I was just poking around and then I noticed that, um, when I poked around, if I hit it right, I would get nauseous. And so I added that to my Google search along with, uh, side pain and, uh, and that came back with a lot of results for, um, kidney stones. And I'd never had them before, but I have some friends who've had kidney stones and, and have talked about it being extremely, uh, painful, uh, not just the last part, which is, I think what everybody focuses on, uh, because it sounds pretty gruesome, uh, but also just along the way, uh, very, uh, painful and has been compared to childbirth. So, um, I really was hoping it wasn't kidney stones and, uh, was kind of, uh, a little bit in denial. Um, by this point, my kids were kind of noticing that I was poking my side a lot. And so on July 2nd, we had a little get together for my son's birthday, for Jack's birthday. And, um, you know, in these social uh, distant times, it was a very small get together. It was just our immediate family um, plus Jack's girlfriend um, who has been kind of in, who has been in our bubble. Um, and, uh, and her parents who have also, we have like a, a two family, um, shared bubble of trust and COVID safety. So anyway, um, Jack's girlfriend's father is a physician. And so, uh, we talked about the pain that I was having and, um, he actually, you know, gave me a little impromptu exam, just kind of poked around at my, at my side and asked me a few questions. And, um, he said, you know, um, it's probably kidney stones, uh, could be gallstones. Um, the pain in front versus pain in back kind of sends two different signals, but pain radiates and does all kinds of weird things. So, um, you can't just go by that. And, uh, and he said, you know, if it hurts a ton right now, just go straight to the ER right now. And, uh, if not go tomorrow morning. And I didn't feel like going to the ER at whatever it was, 10 o'clock at night or something by this point. So uh, I just went to bed and didn't think anything. We actually have a, a picture of us out on the deck I'll, I'll uh, put up um, for this. But it's a photo of us um, all uh, together for, uh, for Jack's birthday. Um, and uh, uh, little did I know that was like the, uh, the last get-together or the last evening that I would have uh, before I find out about my diagnosis. So... Take us from that first photo to the next day, the, d the day you find out. Uh, the next morning comes, it's July 3rd, it's I don't know, 10.30 in the morning, and I'm procrastinating getting out the door and going over to the hospital. And the family was talking about going to the parade or something. So I, I said, you know, all right, I'm going to go over to the ER and get this ultrasound. Um, you know, I should be back in like an hour. And uh, so I... Got in the car, went over to the to the hospital, and 
and I was there for eight hours uh, from the time I got there until until I left. And uh, it started with an ultrasound, just like uh, I expected. And then they said, uh, well, we actually want to do uh, an even better ultrasound uh, than the machine that we have in the ER. Um, and so uh, they, they told me we would do that. And then in the meantime, they came and took a, like four or five vials of blood uh, to do blood work. And, uh, and when I got uh, wheeled out of the ER to get the ultrasound scan. Um, the the ultrasound tech was actually coming in, uh, and I passed her in the hall, and she was wearing like uh, outside clothes. She was she was obviously coming in uh, just just as uh, at that point she still had her jacket on, and uh, uh, and then when I saw her, and she she ended up doing a very very thorough ultrasound, like forty five minutes, fifty minutes, um, you know, basically everything from my shoulders to uh, to my waist, um, in from every angle and, and everything. And, and there was a lot of typing. Um, and if you're ever getting an ultrasound for health related things, you don't want to hear a lot of typing because every time they're typing, they found something, they measured it probably, and now they're documenting it. And so the click, click, click on the keyboard is like not good news. Um, uh, I've been through ultrasounds for the baby and the things they're measuring are, you know, the circumference in the head and the, the length of the spine and, you know, all these different things that they can measure in, in the kind of health context I am. There's just basically one thing they're looking for. And, and the more they're typing, the more there is to comment on and the more they're seeing. So by this time, you, you know, something's not right. Cause by this time I was pretty sure that she wasn't counting kidney stones, um, especially since she was imaging things that were not anywhere near my kidneys, um, which should have been a dead giveaway. Um, so I went back after that. Um, turns out that that tech, uh, after she was done giving me the ultrasound, um, I said something about, oh, are you just starting your shift? And she said, no, I, I, I get to go home now. And she had just been called in just to do my ultrasound because uh, it was July third. She was had the day off, so I was like, "Oh, this is not this is not building up to be good news." Like wherever we're going, uh, this is this is not good. But I was still maintaining a positive um, outlook, and I was getting texts by this point from my family fairly frequently, like, <laughs> "Is everything okay?" Like you know, you were going to be gone for an hour and uh, now it's been four hours or five hours or six hours. So um, came back after that still, you know, I had people coming in and out all the time and they were giving me pain meds and stuff because I was in a fair amount of pain at that point. And, uh, and then they came back one more time and said, just while you're here, we want to do one more test. And this turned out to be a CT scan. And now at this point, I knew for sure that we were no longer in, in kidney stone land. Um, but again, nobody's telling you anything. They're not telling me what they're looking for or what they've already found or anything. It's just always, uh, we want a better diagnostic tool or, um, we saw some things, but that, uh, sensitivity on that ultrasound or the, the difference between what we can see in a CT scan, you know, there was always some reason to do it and it was never, you know, overtly acknowledged what it was. So now I've been in there, I've been through three different scans 
and blood work and I've been there for eight hours and uh, uh, and then they have a shift change. And so the nurse who's been in and out of my room checking on me all day long is gone. And the doctor, even though I hadn't spent much time with them, who had been, um, you know, one of the first people I saw and who had kind of checked in on me and had been given, you know, who had been the one who had been telling me, you know, we want to get another look at at what's going on inside. And so I at least had some sense of, um, you know, I wouldn't say we had a relationship, but I at least would recognize her um, in the hallway. And um, but they all they all went off duty. And like right at the time that um, my results came back. So basically a complete stranger walked in and introduced herself and she was my nurse uh, and asked if I could, if she could get anything and I know. And then the doctor walked in carrying a piece of paper and it was like my discharge instructions. And, you know, she kind of opened up by saying, okay, well, um, I think you're going to be able to get out of here now. Um, <laughs> we've run out of tests. Um and, uh, and she said, uh, so here is a discharge summary. You're going to uh, definitely want to schedule some follow-up appointments. Uh, and so we included some phone numbers and stuff on there um, for you to do that. Um, but if you want to take a look at that and then let me know if you have any questions. And it wasn't a long document. It was you know, maybe two sides, of, you know, maybe either two sheets one-sided or one page double-sided. And... Uh, and it uh, it was really just a narrative uh, combining all of what they had found, and uh, so I'm I'm reading it, and uh, it's almost like uh, like a, a you'd see in a movie where certain words are jumping off the page, like a, a graphics, you know, as somebody's reading something, and that's that's the way it felt to me. And uh, I, the first word that jumped off the page was the the word pancreatic, or pancreas, I think, um, and then metastasized, and then uh, spread, and then liver, and then numerous, and then just like i think that was i think that was the collection of words that uh that like hit me uh and a lot of filler words in between but those those ones all seem to be the important ones and so uh i i literally like scanned this piece of paper while the doctor was standing there and uh and i looked up and she said uh do you have any questions and i said i have a couple uh yes um and i said uh here where it says pancreas um this means what i think it means right and uh and she said yeah and i said okay um metastatic yeah and i'm like i'm really just checking in to make sure that i know that, that like the vocabulary that i'm reading here um because you know i've been in healthcare and, and around healthcare for you know my whole adult life and i built uh, an entire system for working with cancer patients and um, uh, especially in working with uh, uh, advanced stage cancer and chemotherapy and all these things. So, so it's not like uh, I was unfamiliar with a lot of these terms. It's just that, um, well, let's just say uh, you really don't ever want to see the word pancreas uh, in your life being referred to because it's probably going to be bad news. It's kind of organ that you don't think about or know about. Um, unless you have something like this going on. And, uh, and one of the reasons that pancreatic cancer is, 
is so deadly and um, it is that it's one of the silent ones, like uh, ovarian cancer is one of the other ones. It just has no symptoms. There's no, um, you know, I, I got considerably uh, far along in terms of uh, tumor in the pancreas and spread to the liver and, and many, many tumors in the liver as well. And that doesn't happen overnight. Um, and it, it takes years uh, in some cases. And so uh, no symptoms, no nothing until one day I wake up with a pain in my side. What are what are the feelings that you're going through at this point? All this is hitting me. It's not being processed in a rational way. It's kind of individual words or, or concepts or things that I've read or that I knew from other cancer projects. And uh, and then I just realized, like, no, I don't have any other questions. Like, you're an emergency room doctor. I've never met you before. There's not a whole lot I can go into. Um, you just confirmed what I need to know. And yes, I need to make some follow-up appointments now. And so about five minutes after I was having that conversation, uh, I was out on the sidewalk and watching Mary pull up to pick me up from the hospital. Mary, who, who's your wife? And, uh, and so she got there and uh, I had her get out of the car because uh, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and, you know, we hugged and, um, I just kind of walked around for a few minutes in the parking lot because I wasn't ready to get in the car. I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was just kind of still floating. And so, you know, Mary knew that something, something was pretty serious if it had been this long and everything. And she could, you know, she's known me long enough to, to be able to read me. And so she, uh, she said, well, you know, is it, is it really bad? And I said, yeah, it's, it's really bad. And, uh, and I just, I didn't have, I didn't, I really didn't know. So I just flat out just said, I have pancreatic cancer of all things. And I just kind of uh, told her um, all of that. And, you know, she was in shock and, and we were hugging and crying um, out there in the parking lot of Glenbrook South or Glenbrook Hospital. And, um, and then she said, well, you know, all the kids are, uh, are at home and, and waiting. Um, you know, they've been waiting all day and now they're all worried because, uh, when Mary had called me, she said, I said, uh, it's, you know, you can come pick me up now. I'm ready. And, uh, she said, great. All the kids want to come see you too. And I said, no, just you. And she said, is there a reason for that? And I said, yes, there is. And I didn't elaborate and she didn't ask and she just said, okay. So she already had a sense that she wasn't walking into a, a funny story about Tom's trip to the hospital. And uh, so anyway, she said, uh, you know, the kids are all at home, but you know what, if you need more time to process this or anything, um, it's July 3rd, you know, they've been waiting They're, They can go out with friends. Uh, we could probably have them stay out, you know, quite a while if, you know, if we needed to, um, and, uh, or even go over to like her parents' house or something. But that wasn't something you wanted at that time. I just said, no, you know, honestly, I, I want to tell them right now. And so, um, we drove home and I mean, this is all like probably 15 minutes after I was sitting in that bed, talking to the, the ER doc, um, we were pulling into the into the driveway at our house and uh, and just started what um, became 
kind of my core driving principle in all of this, which is straight story about everything. No secrets, no shades, no hiding things because I don't think they can handle it. No, none of it. These are good kids and smart kids and they're grownups. And I respect them enough to tell them exactly what's going on. And I trust that they um, can handle it. And again, nobody can handle this. I don't mean handle it as in they're somehow super people. I just mean this is better than the alternative. Uh, and I couldn't bear the idea of like having, you know, pretending that I'm not actually terminal or, or uh, putting on a false um, view of hope of like, uh, oh no, they think if I can, you know, It'd be the easiest thing in the world to do. And I know people who have done it. And I know people who have concealed um, the nature of their diagnosis from everyone around them. Um, and I know people who have concealed it from their own parents. Um, and I guess ironically, I am too, because I haven't shared this with my dad, but that's because he has dementia and it's a, it's a whole thing. But um, I just felt like the uh, the best thing to do was just be totally open and straight with them. So that's what I did. And, uh, and I've been glad every day since then that I did. Hi, this is cousin Chloe. That's just the beginning of Tom's journey. On our next episode, we'll look at the fact that having a terrible cancer come into your life isn't actually a new thing for Tom. A different experience with cancer almost 10 years ago profoundly affected his family and ultimately led him to develop a company that helps patients with serious illness communicate regularly with their doctors. He's actually using the technology now himself. And now we're going to switch over to an interview with a colleague from that very company that Tom created. The company's called TapCloud. So Jeff Kristoff works directly with patients and families at TapCloud. Uh, he's also a hospice volunteer and perhaps most importantly, a friend of Tom's for 20 years, and someone who totally knew how to reach out upon hearing that Tom had a diagnosis of terminal cancer. I, you know, I, I was just thinking before uh, we started of all the different people and all the different ways that people have engaged with me uh, since, um, you know, well, throughout my life, but especially since July, right? Since this uh, diagnosis came through. And uh, Jeff stands out, I think, hands down his, as the multi-channel uh, award winner. He has sent uh, videos that he's recorded, uh, cards on a couple of occasions, uh, a letter that just showed up. I, I'm going to confess right now, I haven't actually read it yet. It just, it just, we were just sorting through some mail. So I, I know it's from you because it had that little sticker in the sign, but uh, I haven't read it yet. So if there's anything that's important in there and we need to hit pause, I can go back and do that in the meantime, but uh, uh, late breaking. So I, again, thank you so much for, uh, for being part of this today. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff is really, uh, how long have we been friends? I mean, we've known each other back 15 years at Blue Cross, maybe. Yeah, at least when 15 When did you start years, at Blue I Cross? Um, 98. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, so we, we would have met within probably almost immediately. You were a customer advocate, yeah. right? Exactly. That's where yeah, I started. I was running yeah. ATM. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, we were constantly, yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. It's a long time. So basically your whole time at Blue Cross overlapped with me until I left at the end of 2007. Exactly. 
exactly. And then you went on and I mean, when we started talking again, because I wanted to get you involved in TapCloud, uh, one of the things that was really intriguing to me was that you were volunteering at a hospice. Tell mm -hmm. me about that. How did you get into that? And it was about the, that time period that, Hey, it just started that, um, you know, about four years ago, maybe five, um, a woman that was pretty much, you know, a third and fourth grandmother to me, mm -hmm. um, B my cousin's grandma. I went to go see her. Um, she was, she was in a hospice home. And that was where, uh, the last time I got to see her, that was the first time I had ever been in a hospice separate home facility. Yeah. And it made such an impact, but I couldn't describe it. And about a year goes on and I kept thinking about this experience. And a year later, I just felt compelled and called, um, to get online and Google hospice comma volunteering. And sure enough, Joliet volunteering came up and but it made such an impact that um, that's how I got involved was that one experience and just the whole environment and the support there and the feeling I had and how I felt she was honored. Um, yeah. But boundaries is really important. You know, a lot of times, most of the training for hospice, not most of it, but is very intentional about how do you set boundaries and keeping the communication line between you, the hospice organization and the family you know, keep that, keep that communication going. So critical. I mean, that communication is, I mean, again, partly because a lot of times the hospice declaration is so late that you're down to the last few days and, and, you mm -hmm. know, minutes take on a different significance than they did, you know, a few months earlier. Um, and some of it is just the utter realization that like everything that came before is before, like, this is it now, this is really happening. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have no idea. Uh, I know what we did with my mom and, and how that all went. And, and I think that genuinely my course and hers are probably not going to be that different because ultimately, because she had such good palliative care, the hospice thing was more of just like, I, I, in some ways it was almost like she just signaled, okay, guys, I'm ready. And, and she was, you know, my mom was a master of this. She, um, I fully believe I would, and I would, and I would swear to this that um, my, my mom wanted to get through Thanksgiving. We know that that Thanksgiving had always been her holiday. She always hosted. Chloe and everybody has memories of the long walks we would take after dinner and all of the different traditions that we had. And it was always Mary Lee's thing, and uh, and so she wanted to be, you know, there for that Thanksgiving. And, uh, and she couldn't make any food. She didn't get out of bed. Um, mm -hmm. we literally would take turns sitting with her and stuff and then rotate out to sit with the, with the rest of the family. Uh, cause she didn't want us to try and she wanted us to, she liked the idea of us still sitting around a table, but mm -hmm. then having more one-on-one -on -one intimate conversations. And, and she knew, you know, she was getting to the end. And so she gave us these, uh, silver heart shaped bells, uh, that each had engraved a little something from her and our name on it. And, uh, and we still ring those to these days. It's called the Grammy bells. And, uh, anytime we feel like we, uh, need to touch base or just, uh, let her know we're thinking about her, we just ring the bells. It's actually really cool. By the way, I'm trying to figure out something half as clever as that for my kids <laughs> and I, I don't have anything yet. So, uh, any, any help is welcome. <laughs> Um, 
but uh, uh, when my mom, when it really got to uh, getting past Thanksgiving, we accomplished that. And then she knew she wasn't going to make it past Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I think in her heart of hearts, she knew she basically, you know, drained the tank for Thanksgiving. But then she wanted to make sure she didn't go like the 20th of December or something where everything mm -hmm. every year would get overshadowed by that. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, she basically just decided I'm done now. And she was, uh, she had passed mm. within three days. I mean, I think she passed on December 3rd. Mm. Um, and Thanksgiving had been like the 27th or something that year. So we're talking like a week <laughs> and, mm. uh, and it was amazing. And it was, and it, 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 it wasn't crazy either. It was, it was fairly peaceful, but I mean, I always said she controlled everything about this uh, in, wow. in both her life and, and at the end of it. So I don't know. If you have a good enough palliative team, you don't have to wrestle with the fear of when you declare hospice and when you don't because yeah. there's somebody who's already working on all that stuff with you. Yeah, and what's your guys' experience with that from the tap cloud perspective? Or like what, what are some of the things you saw related to kind of that dynamic of the palliative care versus hospice? Yeah, I mean it's it's infused in everything as it relates mm -hmm. to tap. I mean the uh, the whole concept of if I had known this was going on three days ago, this would have just been a one trip to Walgreens and done. Mm -hmm. uh, but now it's going to require a procedure or you know an enema or uh, you know whatever it is because there's no way to unwind that. You know you've gotten to this point, and so. A huge part of our business was surfacing those things that, you know, 90% of the time means something bad is going on here. Um, and, and most of the time, the patient doesn't recognize the significance of what they're tapping in the cloud, but the clinician does. So the patient just tapped on swollen ankles and the doctor says, uh-oh, you know, got to double their water pill uh, or whatever it is. So. I don't know, Jeff, you, you do this every day. So you've been, you know, a huge part of, uh, of building many, many of those programs. I think just like you said, a strong palliative team and philosophy can help overshadow and sort of naturally feed into hospice. So very literally, you know, we're seeing organizations that do that effectively. Um, and we can buoy that with, with the tap cloud support. Um, but like Tom said earlier, there's so much um, misunderstanding. A lot of the big leaders across the country in palliative medicine are trying to shape a new story, a story about the care and the, the holistic view of, of the person that really is palliative. And, you know, you think about, I read some things a couple of years ago. Um, hospice, you know, really became a insurance and, um, kind of benefit either in the eighties or nineties. And so yeah. I think in the 80s. that's really driven its separation only because there's a, a reimbursement reimbursement attached, but most everyone involved in it knows it's not a timing. It's not a, it's, it's not about that. Um, so people confused that with, from the care. Yeah. A lot of people are trying to get it back to the care part as the audience who maybe uh, doesn't or has, you know, mistaken ideas about 
the difference, the very simple difference between palliative care and hospice, what would you what would you say in just a second, you know, a sentence or two about the difference between the two? Palliative care is just a different um, type of medicine. Uh, hospice is a is a financial arrangement and an approach to try and manage a huge population by uh, creating structures that support less uh, intensive care in the last um, months of life. And palliative care is just another study, like podiatry or pediatrics or anything. It's just incredibly focused on diagnosis and recognition of the things. And it tends to be in the most seriously ill because other people, a minor ache and pain isn't worth a trip to the doctor and it's probably not going to matter anyway because it's going to be gone in a few days anyway. But So they tend to hit on serious illness because that's where, not, that's where the symptoms are, but that's where it matters. Um, me being swelling is a lot different than you waking up and feeling swelling. Um, you're not going to freak out about it. You know, I probably am. What Tom just said is so important because um, the education, there's articles and research right now, last 10 years about just our own medical education in the United States. It's so young in the official space of palliative medicine. And so it's highly likely that with no wrong intent, but these other um, specialists may not know or be equipped enough resourced to know about the key palliative resources. So I think it's so important that this conversation is happening to your point, Tom, uh, yeah. last week or whatever, because it's all about educate, educating people on what this is and, and how it is different. Because you would think the people that you would think would know right now, there's so many people that do not know. Yeah. And including doctors. And I mean, I've, exactly. I've heard doctors confuse the palliative hospice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard doctors be kind of subtly uh, uh, insulted. Wow. Like, well, I know I take care of my patients. I don't need somebody else looking over shoulder. It's like, if you don't take care of this stuff, it, I agree. You know, you can be a fine cardiologist, mm-hmm. but you don't, I mean, if you ever get to the point where you're working with true specialists like oncologists and cardiologists and stuff, and you bring up that you've got uh, itchy ankles or that you're getting a little bit of this, if it's not one of their handful of target symptoms, they may make a note, um, but they're just not going to follow. I mean, you guys know the story of how I found palliative care. I'd come back from an appointment with my mom and I was pissed off at the doctor because we had been bringing up a couple of symptoms and uh, and she just, she would just say, is this still happening? And we'd say, yes. And she'd go, okay. And she'd make a note and not make any suggestions or do anything about it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I came, I, after the appointment, I dropped my mom off at home. I drove back and I was just like pissed off the whole time. And I, when I got home, I typed into Google, why won't my mom's oncologist help with her symptoms? And that's what I typed. And I hit, uh, enter and what came back was mostly pages for hospice and palliative care. I knew what hospice was. I didn't know what palliative care was wow. at that time. Um, and uh, and so some combination of me probably using the word cancer and symptoms triggered it into uh, into that world. And I just picked up and started clicking links until I found one that was in Chicago that was uh, uh, you know in the kind of area that she was in because I, I still didn't really know what what I was going to find. 
So, I mean, that, that to me is just one of the, the, the funniest stories about how we got into it. it was literally a Google search that was like 20 words long or something. It was just basically me venting. Uh, what else, Jeff? What else you got? Uh, anything else? To, have, you, have you had anything in your family, I mean, like a, a, somebody close to you before, before me and, uh, that you've had, like had to face this kind of uh, weird terminal diagnosis or anything? Um, you know, I've had some friends, um, I've, I've had more experience on the chronic side, uh, oh. with my mom, she's had lupus for the last 20 years and it oh, yeah. exacerbates everything else that she comes into yeah. contact with. Um, I, I bring that up cause it is my mom, but I, I feel that, um, you know, you just don't, I think think to be honest, um, you don't know sometimes what you don't know in terms of what people want. Like, for, like, I think of you, like, um, you know, in terms of like the kinds of questions people, or I should ask my mom or you and that sort of thing. That's where I've really learned over the years that just because I've had this experience over here or here, it doesn't change that that awareness for me that mm -hmm. I may not know what's best for Tom or what Tom would want, or my mom's case, you know, am I approaching her the right way for just general support, you know? Um, so that's kind of where my mind goes when you ask, so where do you come problem. out with that? Yeah. Where do you come out with that? Cause I, I know everybody has, I mean, I, I, I have, I have a suggestion for you, but you're already doing it. Well, so, I, I mean, you already, you already know the answer to this. You just don't realize it. I mean, you, you do it by doing yeah, and you do it not by wondering if what's the perfect thing to do. You do it by do doing it, something it. that you can do. Yeah, and then you do something else, and then you become multi-channel Jeff. You know yeah. where you've you know uh, seriously like that's yeah. that's one of the reasons that I wanted to to talk with you early on in this adventure of ours is mm -hmm. that you know you you're uh, a lot further away from me than you know than many other people, but really um, just kind of right from the start. Um, tried to uh, make sure that you were staying in touch, make sure that you were um, not just kind of saying platitudes, but, you know, really opening up kind of how this was affecting you too and how you were feeling and, and, and how you wished you were closer and could do more. I mean, just like a bunch of different aspects of it. Yeah. Um, but what was uh, really profound is it didn't matter how much or how little I responded like, and then there, I know there will be something else from Jeff and it's mm -hmm. like it, it, you're, uh, you're just nailing it from that side of it is, um, if you're wondering what you can do, just do something. I, I told yeah. somebody the other day, um, calling up and saying, dude, I have no idea what to say to you, but I just want to let you know, I was thinking about you. I get yeah. those messages. Those are fantastic <laughs> because most of the time it, I come up with something to say back and we end up in a funny yeah. conversation, right? Yeah. You know, I'll take that. I'll take that on. I, um, <laughs> but no, really like that's, yeah, that's doing, you know, instead of wondering or thinking yeah. about or, or wishing well wishes and thoughts and prayers and stuff. I mean, so that, that's what I, I really appreciate about what you've done. And that's why I was asking if you'd had somebody else in the family. Well, no, I, who had know, mail because it's a great intuition that you've had uh, about how you're handling. Well, it's really, I mean, I appreciate that feedback, but it, it's, it's definitely weighed on me in different ways over the years for in different situations, including my relationship with you, because I think, but that, that, that makes so much sense. And it's so simple what you just said, just do. 
it sounds cliche. I mean, like the things that are cliche, uh, thoughts and prayers, be strong, you know, some of those kind of things. Um, but the things that are equally short and kind of trite, but are really powerful are just, I'm thinking about you. Hope you're having a good day. Like it's strange. And I, and I, I, I don't mean to speak for cancer patients because there could be somebody else who feels exactly the opposite. But for me, uh, the ones that are around, like I was thinking about you, and even though I I can't talk right now or I'm busy, I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. You know, I I think of those like heartbeat type things. It's just tapping you and reaching out and saying I'm you know here and thinking about you, and those are fantastic. Like that that probably sparks me to think of something to share with them or to to check in with them, or it might just be a reminder. Oh yeah, I did mean to tell them something, and that this is they're subtly following up with me. Or, you know, whatever it is. But, um, but those are, those to me trigger something, whereas like, uh, you're in my thoughts and prayers, it can, it can be very meaningfully well met. And I don't, and I don't want anybody to think that like, if you say that to me, that I'm somehow offended. It's not that at all. Um, it's just that it's, it, it doesn't, like, I don't know what to do next other than say, thank you. Um, but if your thing is just, um, hey, I didn't want to let a week go by. I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you or just, you know, whatever it is like, okay, I got a thing I can do with that. Like there's somewhere to go. And, and, and hopefully that's what you meant by it in the first place was that you're trying to have some kind of a connection. So. Right. Yeah. I have, I have a quick question for you guys, which is that, um, Tommy, I know we talked before and you had said, you know, you really struggled in the past with um, when a friend had lost a child yeah. right around the time that you had just had you, you, I think your first kid. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've been really struggling the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, friends of like ours from growing up, you know, kids I knew that are about my same age, two brothers. Um, it sounds like one of the brothers committed suicide. Oh, I think. that's tough. Probably just a few weeks ago. And he's, you know, in his early 30s living with his parents i think it happened at home too oh god <laughs> right i know well extraordinarily intense but you know that's that's really what happened and i have really been struggling you know here we are having these kinds of conversations um and i'm still stuck with uh you know i want to write a letter to at least acknowledge and say something but yeah. i keep feeling like i haven't done it yet because i i don't know what to say it just gets harder and each day they were weak it, it gets by. harder each day and also i just feel like something to me feels empty about sending this letter without doing, you know, like the, just like we're talking about without bringing the casserole or, or something. But mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, I'm not sure I feel so kind of lost in that. Like, I, I don't know what the words are and I don't know what the action, what the follow-up is. And it feels so just, it feels so hard to get to that place. Like it, it's such a scary place to try to reach out to somebody yeah. during, so. Oh, and I, and I mean, the additional guilt and, and questions that they've got to be struggling with. Plus, if it was in the home, the day-to-day, the -day, minute-to-minute type reminders and stuff from that and, and the PTSD has just got to be awful. Um, I mean, I, I would say honesty and, and just straightforward would be what I would recommend in that. And, and that would start with saying, I've been trying to figure out how to reach out to you for the last X number of days. And um, so here's what I'm starting with. I'm bringing this and leaving it on your stoop. I'll call you when it's there. Like, you know, if you don't like it, throw it out. I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, uh, and then we'll take it from there. And just just do something, whatever it is. Um, uh, one of our guests talked about the uh, the memory jar. 
that was uh, really powerful to me. You know, maybe memories of the son, uh, as told from a bunch of different people who were his friends, might make them smile. You know, you're not going to be able to, I wouldn't over worry about making somebody cry who's facing a terminal illness or something. We do our crying on our own time. Um, so I, I know that's one of the things to worry about a lot, but I, I don't think it's as much of a danger that you would stir something up. It's got to be front and center in their world anyway. But I think doing something, creating, you know, and, and asking and, um, and, and looking for help, that memory jar thing might be a hit, might not be, not to talk to his brother maybe or a couple other friends. But, you know, there's a handful of things like that. Um, somebody sent me a really beautiful, like, leather journal and just said, uh, you know, if you feel like journaling through this, um, you know, and I'm thinking if I am, I'm doing it on my iPad probably, but it was beautiful. And it's like this really nice thing. And again, there was no debate about, would you like this? I can't decide. It just showed yes. up. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, just the fact that I remember the things that I remember, there's a reason for that, you know, and that's why I remember all the stuff that Jeff has done. And, you know, somebody brought me a pumpkin. Because I didn't think we would, you know, necessarily have time or energy to be doing uh, mm. pumpkin stuff. So, uh, so Shelby and her boyfriend uh, did a whole painted pumpkin and stuff. It was the centerpiece of our Halloween spread this year. No, that's that's so helpful hearing that, uh, especially that the honesty in uh, the start, like the I am sitting here trying to write this. I've been trying to write it for weeks, and it's really yes. I don't know what to say. But here's my start. That I think really helps because I think that's really what I've been struggling with is trying to be honest and direct. And it, it just, I had been struggling with what is the place, what is the starting place to, to be honest and direct. And you're right. That is the starting place. It's just to be honest about how hard this has been to even try to approach. Thank you guys. Thank you for acting as my call in, call in the host and ask, we go. <laughs> thank you for helping me solve my own, ask me my own personal problems. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what about you? Any questions, thoughts, anything that you wanted to share? I'm just delighted that you were able to spend this much time with us. I know how busy you are. No, this is that what we just talked about was probably the biggest thing weighing on me. Um, was just, just that. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm so uh, thankful that, um, you're sharing this and you guys putting this together um, and just to be able to spend this time with you guys. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. We feel the same. And, and Jeff, this won't be the last time that we talk. Exactly. I plan to be, I plan to be running this thing for years. Exactly. So I think this is, and the education, I mean, this is so important to get this out. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen so much than this year in general, just people promoting palliative care. You yeah. know, took a pandemic a global pandemic yeah. but there is yeah. there there is a whole shift yeah that's oh, it's great a, to hear just took a little well, little thing just a pandemic yeah just a little thing yeah, just, just a little baby yeah. pandemic Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, I really Jeff. appreciate it. We, I, I will say till next time, because I do think we'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back again and you'll have some more stories to tell us. Absolutely. Uh, we'd love to share more stories with you. So great. That's great. All right. Fantastic. I, I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, it was just wonderful conversation. I'm just going to play a little music for us to say goodbye. Sounds good. Remember, I love you. I'm really glad you were part of this. And uh, I hope someday in the future you can come back and uh, watch this or listen to it. I know it's hard to listen to yourself. I had to get over that just to get here. So you have a wonderful day. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. 
We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Love you, man. Right now.